This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. The Capital One Venture X business card earns unlimited double miles on every purchase. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash VentureXBusiness. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. Still working on your summer tan? Just lie close to the radio and let my voice bronze you. (laughs) I'm Bill Curtis. And here is your host from the Studebaker Theater in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much. We have made it to our summer break, and we still have not made a dent in our review of our first 25 years on the air. We have realized it's going to take another 25 years just to sum them up. Eventually, we'll just be doing retrospectives of our retrospectives. So let's get right to it. Sometimes we are lucky enough to have real-life couples on the show because, as any marriage counselor might tell you, nothing will bring you closer than the shared trauma of answering questions about things you know nothing about. Here are husband and wife actors Dax Shepard and Kristen Bell, who joined us together in 2012. Hey, we were talking about this. Both of you have done so much in your career so far that it was hard for us to guess what you are most known for. So I wanted to see if we could figure that out right off the top. So Kristen, would it be what? Would it be Veronica Mars? Would it be Sarah Marshall? Would it be what? Oh, goodness. I think for me, it would probably be one of those two. Right. What about in the Venezuelan community, honey? You, yeah. You're big there. <laughs> the oh, Venezuelans. Wow. How about, and, and Dax, how about you? Well, sadly, I think the thing we're, we're both most known for is something that we didn't profit from. It was uh, um, a YouTube video of yes. Kristen getting a swath for her birthday. This may have been, this was like the number one YouTube video of all time. I love I that video. So, uh, Kristen, for those who have not been lucky enough to see it, can you describe it? I am, in fact, an emotional handicap. I have a lot of issues. Um, I really have a love of sloths. I always have. Um, No, wait a minute. Sloths? Yes. Of all things? Mark, explanation point. Sloths? I just want to interject that, you know, for most guys, this might have been a red flag that every night they get in the bed. And, and, their, and their bride-to-be is watching a video of a sloth laying in the road in Costa Rica. This is nightly, a nightly occurrence. Yeah. How did you get enamored of sloths? I don't know, because they're so vulnerable. They're so very vulnerable. And I think, I don't know, they're, and they're just, they take their time. So you really like sloths. I do. All right. So then what happens? And, and, and we're, we're show business types, so we have access to animal wranglers who bring, you know, animals to, to movie sets. So I get a hold of one of these guys and um, find out if I can get a sloth brought to the house for the afternoon for her birthday party. <laughs> All right, so, so you get a sloth. Well, there's more to it than that. I mean, I have to amend my homeowner's insurance policy. That's not a joke. Um, really? Yeah. To have this wild animal in proximity to other party goers required an umbrella, uh, you know, contingency in the policy. So we get all the proper insurance. I tell her to go into the room on her birthday. The surprise has arrived. Take the dogs. And by the time I get into the room to invite her out into the living room, she's put it together that since I asked her to take the dogs in the bedroom, Clearly, there's another animal in the house. Oh, my God, it must be a sloth. And then she's hyperventilating, crying hysterically by the time I come back. And the world knows this because you videotaped Kristen as she figured this out. I had anticipated videotaping her see the sloth in the living room, and I started running the camera when I walked into the bedroom to invite her out into the living room. I didn't expect the show was going to start in the bedroom. Right. (laughs) What kind of sloth was it? Was it the famous three-toed sloth or... Yeah, it was, it was, no, it was a two-toed sloth. Which meant we, can't, we couldn't cuddle it. Which yeah. t- for the amount that I paid for this thing, I was expecting a little more than cuddling. Is, is there, yeah. Is there... <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are a real-life Hollywood couple, and you went and you made a movie together called Hit and Run. It's kind of a getaway caper. You play, uh, Dax, you play Charlie Bronson. Yes. Which, and you're a guy in the Witness Protection Program. Kristen yes, is very, Kristen is very nice... Uh, girlfriend and the challenges to get her to Los Angeles before the bad guys get you. 
Yes, I decided I'm so in love with her as I am in real life that I decided to leave uh, the safety of witness protection and take her to L.A. And then the second we leave, Bradley Cooper, uh, the bad guy testified against, he finds out Tom Arnold, the U.S. Marshal. He starts chasing us. And that is, uh, yes, it is an action comedy. But at the center of all that is Kristen and I's uh, kind of real life relationship on display for all to see. Now, uh, Dax, you also wrote and directed the movie. Yes, sir. And so was that it weird? Was an, it was an ego orgy. I can imagine. <laughs> but I'm also trying to figure out what is it like trying to direct your own girlfriend as she says lines of affection and love to you that you have written. Well, I guess autoerotic comes to mind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can we do that again with more genuine worship, please? Right. <laughs> I don't believe you. I don't believe Not it. I just don't feel like you're seeing me on the pedestal I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> They're also in the movie. It's funny because the couple, the characters fight. And, yes. and they have this very you know, funny, bizarre way of working through their fights. Is that how you guys work through your fights? Are we seeing your process as a couple? We do things similar to that, yeah. We're big into communication. And yeah, we, there's nothing we can't talk out for four hours. I mean, someone needs to cover that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get comfortable and really hash it out. That, that does explain the nine-hour running time as you guys work through your issues. <laughs> yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. Well, Kristen and Dax, it's a pleasure to talk to you, but we have, in fact, invited you here to play a game we're calling... First thing you're going to need is an adorable collective nickname. Before there was Brangelina, before there was Benifer, remember Benifer? Mm -hmm. There was Dick and Liz. That would be Dick and Liz. No, that was Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor, the first and greatest of celebrity couples of the tabloid era. Mm. Dick and Liz? Dick and Liz. And before we go any further, do you guys have a collective nickname? We gave ourselves one, honey. You want to hit them with it? Cracks. <laughs> Love it. Love it. And I'm sure Us Magazine is known as being a cracks addict. They can't get enough of you. Well, we're going to ask you about Burton and Taylor. Taylor and Burton, the Hollywood pair that knew how to live large. Get two right of the three questions. You will win a prize for one of our listeners, Carl's Voice, in their home voicemail. So, Carl, who are Dax and Kristen playing for? They're playing for Derek Stacy of St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. You ready to do this? Let's do it. Well, here's your first question. Now, you've got to be totally besotted with each other, as Burton and Taylor were. What did Burton once say about the woman he married twice? A, quote, she'd drive me crazy, of course, but all I had to do was tune out her voice and check out her rack, unquote. <laughs> B, I'd make a joke about being a Liz-aholic if I weren't a real alcoholic. <laughs> or C, she has a double chin and an overdeveloped chest and she's rather short in the leg, unquote. Oh, wow. This does not sound healthy. No. Um, I'm going with, personally, sweetie, I think A, but you, I defer to you. No, I trust you. Let's go A. The one, about hey. checking, the one about whenever she started to drive him crazy, he'd just tune out and check out her rack? Yeah. Yep. I'm afraid it was C. She had a double chin and overdeveloped chest. Burton said, quote, this most beautiful woman in the world stuff is absolute nonsense, he said of her. <laughs> what a peach. He was an adorable guy. All right. You have two more chances. The Burtons met when they were both married to other people. They had a tumultuous affair in the public eye. They got divorced. They married each other. They divorced each other. And then they got married again. They decided their second marriage should be more restrained than their first. Where did they do it? A, in a rural village in Botswana. B, Times Square, high noon, Saturday. Or C, in their guest bathroom. Oh, no. <clears throat> um, C. You're going to go for C in their guest bathroom? Yeah. They were like, oh, let's just... I'd love to get married in a guest bathroom. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Would that be appealing? Well, look, if you get winded, you take a seat on the commode. <laughs> the I already know we've gotten it wrong because we're talking so much without telling us the answer. So I'm going to change my answer to B. Okay. <laughs> Times Square, high noon, Saturday? Yeah. Because they wanted to avoid attention? Yes. Yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great, honey. The, we're the, taking so, more time. The moment... <laughs> the moment... Uh, this just in. I, uh, I like A the best. She does have some detective skills. You're going to go for A? Yeah, I'm going to go for yeah, A. Yeah, it is A. It was a royal village in Botswana. Oh, God. 
They were on safari in Botswana. They decided, what the hey, let's get married again. They found a magistrate in the local mud hut village to officiate. All right, this is the last question. If you get this right, you win. Uh, Liz and Dick were known for their luxurious lifestyle. They had mansions, and he gave her enormous diamonds, as is well known. In fact, once they did what? A, had pastrami from New York airlifted to them in Rangoon. B, rented an entire yacht just for their dogs. Or C, bought a limousine made of platinum. I, it's actually, I happen to know this one because I was reading about um, celebrities who have had food flown into I them. I was just going to say A. Yeah. <laughs> we agree. Buddy, good job. You're going you're gonna to agree on this? Yes. I like that. I like that. How about you stand with each other? Mm. Even you're when wrong. you're wrong. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we just made that up, sadly. No, the real answer was uh, that they rented a yacht for their dogs. That's it's not. What happened was, and you guys are animal lovers. <laughs> Shut the woman with the sloth at her birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I can't buy him a Rolls Royce. That's, That's right. true. What happened was, is they, they went to London, uh, and uh, there's a quarantine for pets. They couldn't bring the pets into London. So for $20,000, Liz Taylor rented a yacht, which she moored there right in the river, the Thames, uh, for her dogs. <laughs> To wait out the quarantine. Well, that's, well, then that's totally understandable. Now they <laughs> Carl, how did Dax and Kristen do in our quiz? Peter, they needed at least two correct answers to win for Derek Stacy. They had just one correct answer. But can we get extra, extra points for being a good team? You, uh, in my, <laughs> in, Carl, did they get extra points for being a good team? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Zach Shepard and Kristen Bill are in love, and they star in the new movie, Hit and Run, opening on August 22nd. Dax and Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. When we come back, the barefoot Contessa herself, Ina Garten, on her high school crushes, and Mindy Kaling on being crushed by high school. That's when we come back with more Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. From NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Prime Video. Find your favorite shows like Reacher Season 2. Rent or buy new release movies like Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Get everything included with Prime and add on hundreds of streamers like Max for True Detective Night Country. One app, one password, Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. Prime membership not required to rent or buy. Prime membership required for add-on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. This message comes from NPR sponsor Comcast. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed internet. But the barriers to getting connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. If you need a break from the news, WBEZ's Nerdette podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club. Listen to Nerdette Podcast from WBEZ, part of the NPR network, wherever you get your podcasts. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Studebaker Theater in the Fine Arts Building in downtown Chicago, Illinois, Peter Sagal. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. I don't know what you all like to do during your summer vacation, but there's nothing we love more than sitting inside and listening to recordings of things we said years ago. <laughs> I tried doing it on a beach once, but sand kept getting into my headphones. In 2017, we talked to Food Network star Ina Garten, better known as the Barefoot Contessa. I asked her to describe her superhero-like origin story starting when she worked in the Nixon administration. I worked in the White House. I worked in the Office of Management and Budget, a nuclear energy policy. So were you an enthusiastic cook back then? I, I was learning how to cook then. I would work at 
um, O&B during the day, and I'd go home and cook at night. I have heard that you bought the store called the Barefoot Contessa out in the Hamptons without ever having seen it. Is that no, right? I actually had seen it. I saw it once. They were baking cookies, and I thought, this is where I need to be. <laughs> and I made an offer on the store and went back to my office in Washington thinking, well, that'll never happen. And, and the owner called me the next day and said, thank you very much. I accept your offer. And I just went, oh, <laughs> well, tell me about the store. What was the original store like? Um, it was 400 square feet. It was so small that you couldn't get the, the, the stove didn't fit into the kitchen. So it was in, actually in the store. If you wanted to put something in the oven, you had to go into the store. And it was great. I mean, it was, it was, I always wanted it to feel like a party, and it did. We had great music, and we had samples of cookies out, and everybody had a great time. They would come in just to see what was going on. Right, right. And, and, how, and how long did you own that store? Well, I owned the first store for three years. And then I uh, bought a bigger store, and then I moved to East Hampton to a much bigger store. So the, the, store, the store I owned at the end was 3,000 square feet. Right, okay. And then you started doing your cookbooks once the store became really known. No, actually, after I, I sold the store to employees, and then I started doing cookbooks. Oh, really? Yeah. You got out of the food business, right? Really? <laughs> and into the, out of the frying pan and into the pot or whatever it is. Yeah. Ina, I don't know how to cook. And I, this is like a big stain in my life. Yeah. What, tell me the number one thing I need to know to, 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 help, to help me start or give me... Give you know, there's, I, I make roast chicken, and, and that is the simplest thing in the world to make. And I met some, some girls that worked at Glamour Magazine, and they said, we call it engagement chicken. Because every time somebody in the office makes it for their boyfriend, they're engaged within 24 hours. Wow. <laughs> Speaking of someone who loves your cooking, Uh-oh. what is it like to be in Taylor Swift's posse? <laughs> in Taylor Swift's, oh, well, I'm not exactly in her posse, but I spent some, she came for a photo shoot, and we made um, a pavlova together, which was wonderful. Oh, so you made a what together? Pavlova. Pav- was, I just was, talked um, about this in the bluff. Rang like, and whipped cream and, and berries. Is it like Anna Pavlova? Yes. Right. It's like Anna Pavlova. It's, it's named it's, after her. Exactly. Oh. No, I'm, I'm, ass- I'm assuming just given the way that Taylor Swift looks after you made it, she looked at it hungrily, then went back to her diet of carrot sticks no, and cardboard. No, she just dove right in. Did Trust she me. really? Yeah. What, what <laughs> was she, she wearing? She good food. She's a <laughs> Is Taylor Swift a good cook? I don't know. She's a very good cook, yeah. Really? She's a cook. Is there anything she can't do? No. Really? <laughs> Not as far as I can see. She's pretty extraordinary. Do you want to know an interest? Uh, th- is this true that um, you went to high school with both Pulitzer Prize winner James Lapine and a legendary baseball manager, Bobby Valentine? I did. How did you know that? Because I know them both, and they, they, worship, really? they worship you. And I adore both of them. What high school was this? Uh, Ribbon High School in Stanford, Connecticut. Wow. How yeah. extraordinary that a 16-year-old girl chose someone named Jeffrey Garten over someone named Bobby Valentine. Yeah. <laughs> it could have gone a different way. Bobby Valentine didn't choose me. Uh. <laughs> He's a hero in high school. Total hero. When he called me up, I was like, oh, my God, I was like a high school girl with my heart palpitations. And, and I was like, <laughs> I think I was 65 when he called me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Ina Garten, we are delighted to talk to you. We've invited you here to play. They're snazzy, but a bit pinchy in the toe box. You are, of course, the barefoot contessa, so naturally we decided to ask you about shoes. Answer two or three questions about footwear. You'll win our prize for one of our listeners, Carl Castle's voice in their voicemail. Bill, who was Ina Garten playing for? Carol Anthony of New Orleans, Louisiana. All right, you ready to play, Ina? I'm ready. Here's your first question. There are, of course, a lot of specialty shoes. Which of these might you really be able to slip onto your own feet? A, ski walkers, shoes that sprout skis when you want to get down a snowy hill quickly. B, phone holder shoes, which can hold your smartphone in the toe so you can just look at your feet and enjoy some YouTube. Or C, no place like home shoes. You click your heels together three times and a GPS unit guides you home. One of those is true? It's true. One of them is. What was the first one? Ski walkers, shoes that sprout skis when you want to get down a snowy hill quickly. (laughs) How about three? You're going to go for three? Is that your choice? I have no idea. (laughs) Well, three is the no place like home shoes. You click your heels together and it lights up and shows you how to go home. Mm, 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 No. No? Um, You have to choose one, I'm afraid. A phone holder shoe? Phone holder shoes. That's the middle choice. You just put your phone on it. You can walk around, look down at your shoe. There's your phone. (laughs) 
<laughs> they're also improbable. I'm going to choose that one. You choose that one. No, it was actually the No Place Like Home shoes. It was, I was oh. the first time. Oh, it was the third one. It was. Oh, yes. Damn. Wow. These are shoes. They're not. Uh, they're not commercially available yet. But yes, the idea is you click three times and it lights up LEDs and it points you the are way. Are they home. red sparkly shoes? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. Still have two more chances. Shoes can get you in trouble. As when which of these incidents happened? A. A fleeing drug dealer was caught by police in a nighttime foot chase because he was wearing those light-up shoes. Light up <laughs> <laughs> B, 13 models ended up in a basement where the combined stress of their high heels punched through the runway floor. Or C, a woman's slingback mules got her thrown out of church because of salacious revealing of the toes. Mm, mm. The drug dealer. You're right. It's yes. the drug dealer. <laughs> Happened in the early 90s when those shoes were popular. Good job. Yeah. All right. Not last question. If you get this, you win it all. Here we go. One day in 2014, basketball player Manu Ginobili's Nike sneakers did something nobody had ever seen before. What? A, they adhered to the ball, resulting in a scrum of people trying to pull the ball off Ginobili's foot. B, they exploded. Or C, they shot lasers every time Ginobili scored. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think lasers. You think lasers? That he had yeah. shoes that shot lasers? No. Mo, Wait, Mo what year like was this? No. This was uh, just uh, 2014. They exploded? They explode. You're going to choose that one? Yeah. That's what happened. <gasps> they just exploded. They just spontaneously <laughs> burst into they did. pieces. Yeah. They were Nike Airs, yeah. and they exploded air. Like yeah. telephones, it's true. not a light on airplanes yeah. now, right? That's true. Right, right. Bill, how did Ina Garten do in our quiz? Well, here, if you get two out of three, you're a winner, and she did. Woo! Just that. Congratulations, Congratulations, Ina. Ina Garten is the Barefoot Contessa. Her latest cookbook is Cooking for Jeffrey. Ina Garten, thank you so much for joining us. So much fun. Thank you, Ina. Thank you. Because I've been walking in your shoes. There is no guarantee. Mindy Kaling is a writer and actor who first became famous for playing an emotionally needy, socially awkward employee in the office. As she revealed to us when she joined us in 2015, that wasn't too far from the truth. Well, I think when I was younger, I would audition for plays in junior high and high school, and I would always get cast as, like, the homeless woman or a vagrant. Um, was that a high school play or a Phil Collins video? <laughs> no, exactly. And so my parents would come to shows, um, and the, God bless them, they, they would try to muster up some excitement. They're like, oh, I'll see, I see you're playing another hobo. And I'm like, yeah. Was so I was, that happened, like, 23 consecutive times until uh, I moved to New York City after college. And then, um, and then I, wrote, uh, I wrote a play, and... After that play, I got hired in the office. Well, so. it's a, kind of amazing. The, the, I want to stop and talk about that play, which I wish I could have seen. The play was you and a friend of yours who was also female playing Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Yeah. And you were Matt, right? I was actually Ben. I'm, oh. I'm surprised you couldn't have guessed that. Yeah, well, you're so... <laughs> come on, Faith. I'm so She's sorry. so obviously more of a Ben. I'm so obviously my demeanor, uh, my interests. I mean, um, but yeah, we played, um, we wrote this... <laughs> little play, a little strange, uh, like hour-long play, uh, comedy play. It's a, just a two-person play where we played Matt Damon and Ben Affleck when they were 21 years old. And the premise of this whole story was that we were, I'm trying to adapt Catcher in the Rye into a movie to star in. <laughs> so yes. my As Ben Affleck at 21 years old. When you were doing Ben Affleck, um, as I a love young, that beginning. Yes. When great. you were doing Ben Affleck, <laughs> when you were performing, <laughs> when you were performing Ben Affleck, that's not a lot better. Did you actually? Did you actually try to imitate Ben Affleck? Uh, by the way, this is extremely challenging when you sound like a 12-year-old girl that you decide your first professional endeavor is to play like a uh, like a very macho dude. But um, he was always very missed at Matt. Like he always felt the character as we wrote him was always very missed at like Matt was trying to like make other friends and like go do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he would always be like, hey, man, what? I've been waiting at Cosi for like two hours. What were you? Who were you hanging out with, huh? Like that was like he was just that was him. <laughs> <laughs> that I mean, wait a minute, that that part right there, that was Ben Affleck and not you. Hey, listen, okay, I didn't say I was like some virtuosic <laughs> comedian with impressions. So you did incredibly well on The Office. You became well known, and you got your own sitcom. And, and could you describe the character that you chose to play in that sitcom? You created it yourself, right? Yeah, she's kind of a disaster. Like she's a very 
uh, Mindy Lahiri, the character I play in the Mindy Project, is like very selfish, very wild. The kind of fun thing about the show is that my character dated more men than I've ever met in my life. Really? Like, yeah. Like she's dated, I think she's dated like, I think I've certainly made out with like 30 men on my show or something like that. I, I, I understand that in your book you, you, you reveal that all actors lie about sex scenes in some way. Yes, I, that is probably my biggest contribution, I think, with my book, is that I, every actor pretends that they hate sex scenes, and the truth is that they all love them and they're lying. No, wait a minute. My understanding of the way sex scenes work, and I've never been on a set for a sex scene, but I've read about them, is that you're surrounded by crew, and you're cold, and you have to do it eight times because they didn't get the lighting. It doesn't sound pleasant, but you think that actors actually enjoy it? Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you basically get to make out with a good-looking stranger, and it's, like, the only loophole in existence where, like, that is allowable within marriage. Like, <laughs> so, Mindy, I want to ask you uh, about the new Pixar movie, Inside Out, coming out this weekend. It all takes place, or mostly takes place, uh, inside the mind of a little girl, and you play one of her emotions. You play disgust. So what was it like when they came to you and said, we want you, Mindy Kaling, to voice disgust? Um, I said, how dare you? Um, I've never been so insulted in my life. Uh, I'm a beautiful angel. How could you pick me for disgust? <laughs> Frankly, uh, I'm disgusted you would even suggest that. And I was disgusted. And then I was like, wait a second. I like this character. I know what this is about. Well, the thing with this, um, with the character of disgust is she's, She's like a tiny, green, mean girl. She's like a 12-year-old girl who's like incredibly impatient and hates everything and is always rolling her eyes. So right. uh, I feel like I've made a career off of playing versions of this. Right. <laughs> uh, so uh, this was a character, as they say, that was in my wheelhouse. Um, right. Ben Affleck, disgust, like these are the two things I can play. Really? Well, Mindy Kaling... <laughs> What a pleasure to talk to you. We've invited you to play a game we're calling... It's the Home Improvement Project. So, you do a show called The Mindy Project. No, I understood it and I enjoyed it. Thank you. All right. <laughs> How stupid do you think I am? I'm disgusted. No, she's just... I'm just, going to, I'm just going to assume she's impatient to get to the greater fun of playing the game, but... But let's, let's just explain for the slower people. You have a show called The Mindy Project, so we thought we'd ask you three questions about different kinds of projects, home improvement projects. Get two of these right. You will win our prize for one of our listeners. That prize, of course, Carl Castle's voice. Bill Curtis, who is Mindy Kaling playing for? Olivia Otieno from Nairobi, Kenya. Really? Wow. Nairobi. Whoa. Yeah, I know. The heat is on. (laughs) On two separate occasions, this is your first question. On two separate occasions, Home Depot has faced lawsuits from would-be do-it-yourselfers who were very upset when they went to a Home Depot and what happened? A, they went to the restroom and found that the toilet seats were strongly, quote, adhesive, unquote. B, floor staffers called them, quote, Homo Depot sexuals. Or C, they searched the store for someone to help them and realized the place had been completely abandoned for hours. Abandoned how? Like, like Walking Dead style, where there's like no one anywhere there? That, would be, that would be more helpful. I have been at the Home Depot looking for help for hours, and if I had seen a zombie yeah. with the apron, I would have asked the zombie for help. Just one of those things happened twice, leading to lawsuits. Okay, I... I wish it was the first one because I, uh, that is a um, that's a great image to have in my head. But I feel it's the last one. The answer actually was the first one. It was uh, the adhesive toilet seats. Ow. They oh, feel man. that the adhesive. They, this happened once in uh, Colorado and once in St. Louis, and they actually think that the St. Louis incident was a uh, copycat gluer. <laughs> Somebody heard about the first incident and said, "I'm going to do that at my Home Depot." All right. Customers themselves sometimes misbehave down at the Home Depot, such as the case in which two people did what? A, used one of those pre-assembled storage sheds they got in the parking lot for a private assignation, if you know what I mean. (laughs) B, had a loud and dangerous lightsaber fight in the aisle with fluorescent tubes. (laughs) (laughs) C, tried to give one of the many toilets on display a real-life test. Each image was so vivid that I forgot the question. All right. <laughs> one, of, one of these things happened. Somebody was arrested for one of these things. Was it when, A, two people got into one of those sheds and got busy yeah. in the parking lot? Right. Uh, Which is, who hasn't done that? I don't know why anyone would get arrested for that. But yeah. Okay. 
You may not have known that was illegal, Mindy, but just for the future. It the, is my God-given right to go to a shed at any Home Depot and do what I like. In <laughs> what if it was the first one? Yeah. If it was the first one, I'd say you were right. Do you want to pick the first one? I want to pick the first one. You're right. Hey! This happened in South Carolina, 2013. The couple was removed from the shed and charged with indecent exposure and disorderly conduct. All right, last question, Minnie. If you get this right, you win. There are plenty of celebrity home improvement specialists you can turn to on TV, including which of these? A, Lee Majors, host of the $6 million bathroom. <laughs> B, Mr. T, host of I Pity the Tool. <laughs> Or see Mikhail Gorbachev, former Soviet premier, host of Tear Down That Wall and Put Up a New One. <laughs> it could have, the second one's so silly. That can't be real. Have you seen TV? <laughs> You're right. I'm also, I also produce the silliest show on TV. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe the second one. Mr. T, I pity the yeah. tool. Is that your choice? Is that, it is yes, true. That is the one. I Pity the Tool will feature, it's on the DIY network, uh, will feature Mr. T demolishing homes before he and uh, some designers collaborate on uh, restoring it. Bill, how did Mindy Kaling do on our show? Mindy got two right, the audience got three right, so <laughs> put them together, and Mindy's a winner! Congratulations, Mindy! When we come back, we've always said our quizzes aren't rocket science, so we test it on a real rocket scientist. Plus, Donny Osmond. Yeah, that Donny Osmond. That's when we come back with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Viking Books, publisher of Get the Picture by Bianca Bosker. In Get the Picture, the New York Times bestselling author of Cork Dork now takes readers on a journey inside the secretive world of art. The Washington Post calls it brilliant, and Time Magazine says it's a gripping and often hilarious investigation into the art world. Bosker goes full Tom Wolf. Read Get the Picture, available now. Support for NPR and the following message comes from Front Door. We all have that endless home to-do list. Repair the leaky dishwasher, fix the fridge, get the faucet to stop dripping. Get it all done with Front Door, the one-stop home repair and maintenance app. With Front Door, you can video chat with home repair experts, diagnose the problem faster, and cross off that to-do list. Now, when your home needs fixing or maintenance, just open the Front Door. Download and get unlimited video chats with an expert for just $25 a year. We have perverted our Constitution. Perverted it with regard to a welfare clause that doesn't exist. Perverted it with regard The question was, is he too dangerous? Is he too crazy? The new podcast, Landslide, telling the story of the presidential races that led to today's divide. Those are the seeds of the culture war. Landslide, part of the NPR Network. Subscribe now. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Studebaker Theater in downtown Chicago, Peter Sigel. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. We are um, we're almost done with this week's retrospective of our 25 years in the air, and one of the nice things about being around this long is that we were there to talk to people who've been around even longer. For example, in 2007, we went to Salt Lake City, Utah, and talked to one of the most famous performers ever to come out of that state, Donny Osmond, who started, of course, as one of the Osmond brothers. You know, I love, I love Kingsbury Hall. It has a big history with me because that's where I did my very last performance of Joseph and the Amazing Technical the Dreamcoat. Right. I and did that show for six years. Six years. And How often did they clean the coat? I hope you got it dry cleaned and at some point. <laughs> during, yeah. No, it, it, it doesn't smell very good, but after no. six years. You that's can't the clean the coat like that. the amazing thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> Can I throw in a fact? Andy Williams' father discovered the Osmond brothers. How did you true? know that? Because I've heard that. I'm a huge Andy Williams fan and Osmond's fan, and I know that the Osmond brothers were at Disney World, right? Because it's, that it's, is it's, correct. It's, tell it, tell it. It's fun. It's a good story. Well, my brothers... Uh, 
Uh, my brothers went down with my, with my dad in Los Angeles uh, to audition for Lawrence Welk to try to get on television. And Lawrence wouldn't see them. He was just too busy. So my dad took my brothers uh, to Disneyland. He said, well, since we can't see him, let's make a vacation out of this. Well, my, my brothers were all dressed alike. So they were walking down the streets dressed alike, and this barbershop quartet named the Dapper Dans saw my brothers and said, are you a quartet? And they said, well, yes, we, we sing every once in a while. And said, well, sing us a song. Well, my brothers sang them a song. The Dapper Dan sang my brothers a song. It was like a competition on the streets. It kept going back and forth and back and forth. And this huge crowd gathered around them like an attraction there at Disneyland. Walt Disney put him on two shows because he loved them so much. And that's where Andy Williams' father saw my brothers. And the rest, as they say, is history. That's where they got their national break. Wow. I hope not too many people hear that story because it's going to make the Dapper Dan's life hell trying to get through a show at Disneyland. (laughs) (laughs) And they're still there. They are are there, and they're fantastic, by the way. But every little kid singing group in the world is now going to go cut cut their grass. Well, you got Battle of the Bands every day on Main Street, USA. So I got to ask you one last question before we go to this. Now, you, sir, had the honor of once being the subject of a question on this show, we were trying to stump Ken Jennings, Salt Lake City hometown hero. Mm-hmm. He came on our show, we were trying to ask him about things he may not know about, and one of the questions we asked him about was the way that you, Donnie Osmond, like to eat pretzels. And uh, it turns out, oh, we, no. we, we actually found a video of you doing this, so we had it confirmed. I'll cut it out. No, that you, that you uh, when you're eating pretzels, you said to an interviewer, and you then demonstrated, you like to take the pretzel out of the bag, lick the pretzel, smell the pretzel, and then eat the pretzel. Why did you bring that up? <laughs> well, I don't know. Because people didn't believe us. We actually got emails saying, come on, you made that up about Donny Osmond, and we had to send out the video of you doing it. Hey, don't knock it unless you've tried it. All right. But it's true. We wanted to get a confirmation. This is how you, Donny Osmond, eat pretzels. Yes, I, I, I lived a very uh, sheltered life. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Donny Osmond, we are delighted to have you with us. Now, we have invited you here to play a game, a special game we're calling... You may be a little bit rock and roll, but it won't help you now. <laughs> <laughs> Donny, as you know, we call this game Not My Job, so we decided to review your remarkable career, music, TV, theater, come up with three questions about which you, Donny Osmond, would have no clue. Answer two of them right, you will win our prize for our listeners. Carl Castle, who is Donnie Osmond playing for? Uh, Donnie is playing for Sean Thompson of Salt Lake City. Okay, all right. Ready to play? I'm ready to play. Here we go. First, Donnie Osmond specific topic being an only child. <laughs> Turns out, Rudy Giuliani was an only child. And like many such children, his parents put a little bit too much pressure on him. Which of these did Mr. Giuliani endure with no siblings to share the burden? A, his mother, frustrated at not having a daughter, would make him wear dresses for, quote, special mommy days (laughs) until the age of 10. B, his father, a Yankees fan in the middle of the Dodgers' Brooklyn, would dress him in full Yankees regalia and send him out in the streets to be mercilessly mocked by the other kids. Or see, both parents, who never really wanted children in the first place, would make him stand alone outside the fancy restaurants where they dined, occasionally bringing him spare dinner rolls to eat. <laughs> I would say that his dad dressed him up in a Yankees outfit. You're right, sir. Very well. Yeah. Very well done. Giuliani says of being sent out into the Brooklyn streets while wearing a Yankees uniform, quote, To my father it was a joke. To me it was like being a martyr. It really begins to explain a lot about him, doesn't it? All right, next question, specially selected for you, Donny Osmond, known, of course, for your clean living. According to the book Alcoholica Esoterica, which of these is the traditional Mongolian cure for a severe hangover? A, eating a pickled sheep's eye in tomato juice. B, killing a goat and rubbing its innards on your scalp while still warm. Or C, digging a hole in the dirt and sticking your head in it. Mm. <laughs> or D, licking a pretzel, smelling it, then eating it. <laughs> Maybe that's why I never have a hangover, because I lick and smell Preemptive, yeah, exactly. preemptive hangover, that's great. Um, well, I would say the sheep with the tomato juice. Pickled sheep sign tomato juice, that's your hangover yeah, cure yeah. of choice. You're right again. Oh, Amazing, please. amazing. <laughs> 
Other hangover cures? So if I cures? ever drink, I know what to do. Exactly. Uh, you yeah. know what? I think the whole Don, Donny Osmond persona thing has gone down the drain tonight, yeah. don't you? Yeah. Yeah. This is so preposterous don't let it out, Paula. that you could Come possibly on. know these things and not have had a pickled sheep's eye or two yourself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question run. created especially for you, Donny Osmond. A man known for your teeth, the topic is dentures. During the 19th century in Britain, the most prized and valuable kind of dentures were known as what? A, mermaid teeth made from the horns of the rare and elusive narwhal. B, waterloo teeth made from the teeth of soldiers fallen on Napoleonic battlefields. Or C, tea service teeth made by the skilled porcelain masters of Mason, Germany. Uh, The porcelain. It's got to be the porcelain. Tea service teeth? Porcelain teeth? Yeah. No, it was actually the waterloo teeth. Oh. Yeah. So here's the problem. Most dentures at the time were made from human teeth. But the problem was, by the time the first owner was done with them, not usually in good shape. No. Solution, visit the battlefields of Europe where lots of healthy young men suddenly no longer had any need of them. Mm. Okay, well, the good news is we believe your teeth are real. (laughs) (laughs) Carl, how did Donny Osmond do in our quiz? Well, Donnie, you did very well. You had two correct answers, so you win for Sean Thompson. Congratulations. Well done. Yeah. Legendary pop star Donnie Osmond has a new album called Donnie Osmond Love Songs of the 1970s. Donnie Osmond, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Support for NPR comes from FX with Shogun, an original series based on the novel by James Clavell. FX's Shogun is an epic saga of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan, starring Hiroyuki Sanada and Anna Sawai, now streaming on Hulu. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message comes from Easy Cater, committed to helping companies from nonprofits to the Fortune 500 find food for meetings and company events with online ordering and 24-7 live support. Learn more at easycater.com. Finally, not all our guests are actors, comedians, and musicians. Some of them are just really, really smart. None of them have been smarter than Tierra Fletcher the young aerospace engineer who joined us in 2019. Peter asked her if building rockets had always been her dream. Yeah, from the age of 11, I decided to be an aerospace engineer. Now, what what inspired you to do that? So I actually had a program at my elementary school that introduced students to the fundamentals of aerospace engineering. I know, that's ridiculous. Um, Since the fourth grade, I have been wanting to be an aerospace engineer because of that program. Wow. Wow. I love that. So you went to MIT... Yes. And that, that was a pretty impressive thing. And we're told you graduated with a 5.0 average. Yes, it was very interesting time there. Yeah. Yeah. As far as we knew, the scale goes up to four. four. <laughs> How did you manage that? So my parents always encouraged me to just reach beyond what's expected of you. So I just worked hard, worked, um, oh, my God, so many hours, late, late nights. And I just made it happen. So even... even well, for- you just made so many parents feel like crap. <laughs> <laughs> so you were, you were like a nerd at MIT, which is already nerd heaven. Wow. Um, <laughs> I tried to keep a good balance. I was still very involved in different student organizations. And, okay. What student organizations were you involved in? So many of the cultural groups, um, the mm-hmm. Black Students Union, also MIT University, and also an African dance team. I tried to mix it up a little bit. Oh, really? That is so cool. Well, you probably understood the dynamics of the movement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Which is almost cheating. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, Would you say to the, other, to, to the rest of the team, like, no, you, you, you need a 25-degree angle at your knee. Right, right. <laughs> 
all of us as kids maybe drew airplanes and rocket ships. I did that. Or maybe made paper airplanes or models. But you're like, you were not satisfied. You wanted to make them out of, like, steel and make them fly. (laughs) Exactly. And I wanted them to be pink. For sure pink. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, I'm still working on that. Really? So you you were recruited by, what was it, Boeing right right out of school, right? You worked for them before you even graduated. Correct, yes. And so tell, tell us what your job is. So I'm a rocket structural engineer. What that means is that I design various parts of the rocket, analyze those parts, and then I'm also doing manufacturing engineering as well to get all of those parts together into the rocket that you'll see. Because you're a girl, they didn't make you do the curtains? <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm very happy that they did not make me do that. Oh, so you're actually designing the rocket engines. And, and everybody told us that the rocket specifically that you're working on to design is the one that's going to go to Mars. Is that correct? That's correct. Are you guys going to go get the rover back? <laughs> you know, we could pick that up, huh? We could pick could it up. Pick it up. I mean, it, it would be nice of us to clean up our messes yeah, it's, right, for right. once. Yeah. It's uh, so sad. You yeah. are a rocket scientist, literally. Wow. Yes. That is the absolute cliche for extraordinarily smart person. Like, we, you know the phrase, it's not rocket science. So do you intimidate people when they find out what you do for a living? Well, a little bit, I guess, by the title, but I assure them that many people can be a rocket scientist. That's just not true. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, many people can. It's very pretty to think so, and I want everybody to be encouraged, but no. (laughs) Your husband uh, is an astrophysicist, that's right. He's a rocket propulsion test engineer. Oh, wow. Oh so you, wait a minute. What a so slacker. So you build yeah. the rockets, and yeah. he tests them? Exactly. It's so cringing. Yeah. Yeah. It's- wait a minute. That seems to me that it might provide cause for tension. <laughs> I mean, what if you build an engine, he tests it, and it blows up? Right. What's and, dinner know, at home going to be like that <laughs> night? I have to be really careful with my designs because I know that my husband is testing them and it's just, it's a lot of pressure. It is yeah, a lot sure. of pressure. Um, do you ever say to him, do you want more coffee? And he says yes, and you go, what's your capacity? <laughs> we do have those moments, unfortunately. <laughs> Wait a minute, you do? You actually like, like you do nerd humor with each other? We have a ton of nerd humor. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Well, Tiara, it is a pleasure to talk to you, and we are going to see if we can stump you, because we have invited you here to play a game we're calling... We must defeat the Monstars. Sure, space (laughs) is your jam, but what do you know about the movie Space Jam? Oh, Oh, no. We're going to ask you three questions about that 1996 movie, which starred Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny. Oh, man, I was like one year old. <laughs> oh, don't say that. No, what? That's not cool. Yeah. If you get two questions right, you'll win our prize for one of our listeners. Bill, who's Tierra playing for? Jonathan McRae of Bangor, Maine. All right, Tierra. Ready to do this? I'm ready. Here is your first question. Space Jam was a huge success in 1996. Its appeal is far-reaching, as proven by which of these? A, in an interview, Neil Armstrong said... This movie is the greatest space thing ever done. (laughs) B, there is a VHS copy of the movie Space Jam enshrined in the North Korea International Friendship Museum in Pyongyang. (laughs) Or C, Smuckers sold out of its Space Jam, which was just a jar that's, quote, empty, just like the vastness of space. (laughs) Um, I might need a little help here. What is the audience thinking? A, B, or C. Who knows? Well, I know who's a movie fan. B, B. We know who's a movie fan. Are we saying B? Is this what you did at MIT, by the way? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm kidding. Yes, of course it's B. Of course it's B. You use whatever resource you have. All right. uh, Your next question. Chuck Jones was the original creator of Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig, all the rest. He was invited to make a speech to the filmmakers when, who were making Space Jam, which used all his characters. What happened? A, he challenged Michael Jordan to a game of one-on-one and lost 108 to zero. <laughs> B, he announced that Porky Pig had been cured of his stutter and therefore would be speaking perfectly from now on. Or C, he insulted the film with such vigor he had to be escorted off the Warner Brothers lot. 
Oh, um, I'm going to go with C. You're right, <laughs> C. <laughs> Chuck, Chuck Jones, Jones, yeah. Chuck Jones, who is, of course, a genius, hated the movie, yeah. thought it disrespected his characters, and made his feelings known, and he had to be escorted off the lot. Wow. Yeah. Last question. LeBron James is producing a sequel to Space Jam starring himself. There's been one problem with the production, though. What? A, LeBron's co-star Kyrie Irving walked off the set after refusing to believe the original Space Jam was not a documentary. (laughs) B, the guy who voices Elmer Fudd has not forgiven LeBron for leaving Cleveland and keeps adding profane insults to all of his lines. Or C, other NBA stars have reportedly refused to join the cast because they know the movie will just be LeBron dunking on them. Um, let's go with C. You're right again, yes. They don't want to be embarrassed on film by LeBron or Bugs Bunny. Bill, how did Tierra do in our quiz? She got a (laughs) (laughs) 5.0. Another success. Tara Fletcher is a rocket scientist. She's building the spaceship that'll get us to Mars. You can find out more about her by searching for Rocket with the Fletchers on Facebook. Tara Fletcher, thank you so much for joining us on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Congratulations, Tara. That's it for this installment of our year-long stroll through the first quarter century of Wait, Wait. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord, Philip Godica writes our limericks, our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. B.J. Liederman, composer and theme, our tour manager is Shana Donald. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dornboss, and Lillian King. Our cabana boy is Peter Gwynn. Technical direction is from Lorna White. Our business and ops manager is Colin Miller. I vibe curator is Emma Choi. Our production manager is Robert Newhouse. The senior producer is Ian Chillock. And the executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, that's Mike Danforth. Thanks to everybody you heard on this week's show. That means all our panelists, all our fabulous guests, Mr. Bill Curtis, and, of course, our original judge and scorekeeper, the immortal Carl Castle. And thanks to all of you for listening. I am Peter Sagal. We will be back next week. This is NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, ShipBob. E-commerce logistics making you question why you started your business. Time to outsource fulfillment to the experts over at ShipBob. Get a free quote at shipbob.com. ShipBob. History is intriguing, but unlike the present, it can feel far off. On NPR's Throughline, we bring it back to life. I will toss you in the air like a lion. I will leave no one alive in your realm. Go inside the stories from then that shape the world we live in now. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.